today's read, Asada, an autobiography written by Asada Shakur, chapter 17. Over the next few years, home became a lot of places. I traveled quite a bit and met up with some really beautiful people. People so beautiful, they restored my faith in humanity each time I passed through their station. Like most of us back in those days, I was new at this, learning about clandestine struggle as I lived it. I didn't have many fixed ideas at first about what I thought armed struggle within the confines of America should be like. I had done a lot of reading about it in other places, but I had no concrete idea how to apply the lessons from those struggles to the struggle of black people within the United States. It was clear that the Black Liberation Army was not a centralized, organized group with a common leadership and chain of command. Instead, there were various organizations and collectives working out of different cities, and in some of the larger cities, there were often several groups working independently of each other. Many members of the various groups had been forced into hiding as a result of the extreme police repression that took place during the late 60s and early 70s. Some had serious cases, some had minor ones, and others, like me, were just wanted for questioning. Sisters and brothers joined these groups because they were committed to revolutionary struggle in general and armed struggle in particular and wanted to help build the armed movement in America. It was the strangest feeling. People I used to run into at rallies were now in hiding, sending messages that they wanted to hook up. Sisters and brothers from just about every revolutionary or militant group in the country were either rotting away in prison or had been forced underground. Everyone I talked to was interested in taking the struggle to a higher level, but the question was, how? How to bring together all those people scattered around the country into an organized body that would be effective in struggling for black liberation? It became evident, almost from the beginning, that consolidation was not a good idea. There were too many security problems, and different groups had different ideologies, different levels of political consciousness, and different ideas about how armed struggle in America should be waged. On the whole, we were weak, inexperienced, disorganized, and seriously lacking in training. But the biggest problem was one of political development. There were sisters and brothers who had been so victimized by America that they were willing to fight to the death against their oppressors. They were intelligent, courageous, and dedicated, willing to make any sacrifice. But we were to find out quickly that courage and dedication were not enough. To win any struggle for liberation, you have to have the way as well as the will and overall ideology and strategy that stem from a scientific analysis of history and 
present conditions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some of the groups thought that they could just pick up arms and struggle and that somehow people would see what they were doing and begin to struggle themselves. They wanted to engage in a do-or-die battle with the power structure in America, even though they were weak and ill-prepared for such a fight. But the most important factor is that armed struggle by itself can never bring about a revolution. Revolutionary war is a people's war, and no people's war can be won without the support of the masses of people armed struggle can never be successful by itself. It must be part of an overall strategy for winning. And the strategy must be political as well as military. Since we did not own the TV stations or newspapers, it was easy for the news media to portray us as monsters and terrorists. The police could terrorize the black community daily. Yet, if one black person successfully defended himself or herself against a police attack, they were called terrorists. It soon became clear to me that our most important battle was to help politically mobilize, educate, and organize the masses of black people and to win their minds and hearts. It was inconceivable that we could survive, much less win anything, without their support. Every group fighting for freedom is bound to make mistakes, but unless you study the common fundamental laws of armed revolutionary struggle, you are bound to make unnecessary mistakes. Revolutionary war is protracted warfare it is impossible for us to win quickly. To win, we have got to wear down our oppressors, little by little, and at the same time, strengthen our forces slowly but surely. I understood some of my more impatient sisters and brothers. I knew that it was tempting to substitute military for political struggle, especially since all of our above-ground organizations were under vicious attack by the FBI, the CIA, and the local police agencies. All of us who saw our leaders murdered, our people shot down in cold blood, felt a need, a desire to fight back. One of the hardest lessons we had to learn is that revolutionary struggle is scientific rather than emotional. I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel anything, but 
decisions, decisions, <sighs> decisions can't be based on love or on anger. They have to be based on the objective conditions and on what is the rational, unemotional thing to do. In 1857, the United States Supreme Court ruled that blacks were only three-fifths of a man and had no rights that whites were bound to respect. Today, more than 125 years later, we still earn less than three-fifths of what white people earn. It was plain to me that we couldn't look to the courts for freedom and justice any more than we could expect to gain our liberation by participating in the United States political system. And it was pure fantasy to think we could gain them by begging. The only alternative left was to fight for them. And we are going to have to fight like any other people who have fought for liberation. I wasn't one who believed that we should wait until our political struggle had reached a high point before we began to organize the underground. I felt that it was important to start building underground structures as soon as possible. And although I felt that the major task of the underground should be organizing and building, I didn't feel that armed acts of resistance should be ruled out, as long as they didn't impede our long range plans. Guerrilla units should be able to carry out a few well-planned, well-timed, armed actions that were well-coordinated with above-ground political objectives. Not any old kind of actions, but actions that black people would clearly understand and support and actions that were well-publicized in the black community.